we've got some vino poured. Yeah. Tell me about these crazy Italians. We are going to be talking about Italy today, uh, specifically a time period in Italy from 1968 to 1988, approximately. We'll talk about the end when we get there, but um, it's kind of a amorphous mm-hmm. uh, cutoff date. Uh, but th- this time period was called the Years of Lead. Sounds bad. Yeah, not like everyone had a lot of like mechanical pencil lead that they were using, you know. <laughs> All of a sudden, everyone started using that. Uh, no, it was actually the years of lead. We just start <laughs> mispronouncing it. Yeah, it's silly us. The years of lead in Italy saw the country racked by intense class conflict and political violence. Okay. Kind of one of the things I want to talk about before we really get into it is kind of what is our goal here. I think for a lot of Italian listeners i don't know how many of them i don't know haven't checked the stats lately yeah they would be as well versed in their history as anyone else Mm -hmm. you know in their own country so they'll likely know about some of this stuff but the rest of us like i never heard of it i didn't know anything about (laughs) it uh, until i did the research for this episode i mean i knew you knew enough to research it that like it's a thing you should look into (laughs) yeah like i knew um you know kind of a little bit about the italian communist kind of party a little bit about how we talked about like the cia fucking around in mm, yeah that one election in italy which we'll talk about today um in 1948 and also about operation gladio which plays a role here too mm. but there's like lots more that's what we'll be kind of focusing on and i think even italians when they're learning about their history or when we're learning about our own country's history you know everybody seemingly suffers from the capitalist class distorting that history hiding that history i mean we see that now more than ever you know oh yeah yeah anyway it's interesting to learn for its own sake i think it'll be inspiring to see examples of people fighting for communist causes in a capitalist country uh and of course we like to kind of fuel our rage (laughs) it's going to be upsetting uh how much uh, fascism is going on I mean, no one likes it. It's never a bad time to review the signs of fascism, especially in these times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And another thing I think it gives you is more ammunition or more fuel when your inevitable interaction with somebody, relative or friend or whatever, who's like, yeah, you know, I mean, communism sounds nice, but like it never works, you know? <laughs> All the states that tried it failed. It's like, well, why did they fail? Yeah, let's take a closer look. <laughs> <laughs> or why did it fail to happen in this country? You know, uh, there's a reason for that. So we'll we'll take a look at a case study of that in Italy. Great. So I mentioned the time period being 1968, but we want to build up to that point and get them there. What was going on in Italy? Great question. Right? So Italy, World War II. You know about them? Yeah, they probably had a hard time after that, huh? Yeah, because they were kind of they're kind of doing bad. some shit. Yeah, they had Mussolini. They had fascism, and that's going to kind of serve as the context is fascism and anti-fascism. That'll be really what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. The anti-fascist movement in Italy, like elsewhere, is broadly leftist, but is not necessarily exclusively like communist or socialist or anarchist. It's like mainly those are your main groups in it because they're Mm -hmm. the ones that are the main targets of fascist hate. But... Usually it's going to be really kind of big tent and you're also going to have like liberals and you're also going to have like Republicans with a small R. And mm-hmm. in Italy's case, they even have like some weird monarchists, uh, 
They have uh, Christian Democrats. So they, they kind of a smattering, but the, the lead is, it, it's a leftist, broadly speaking, those are the guys in the lead. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to get behind. I mean, I, I was going to say, it's easy to get behind hating fascists, surprisingly hard for some people. Oh, yeah, because, <laughs> oh, the, but the other side is just as bad. Uh-huh, apparently. Yeah. We'll, we'll take a look at that today because uh, it will be clear which side is actually worse. <laughs> You start to see this anti-fascist movement in Italy kind of corresponding with the rise of fascism. Even before Mussolini's in power, he's like, hey, we got to do something about these anti-fascists, you know? <laughs> when he does come to power, he calls his secret police, literally is called the Organization for Vigilance and Repression of Anti-Fascism. Okay, wow, he came out and said it. Yeah, he's like, We're, we, we want to get rid of those guys. That's weird, because usually fascists don't call themselves fascists. Did he call himself that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, he did. So during World War II, it was like, kind of cool. If wow. you were, you know, in that country, it was like... <laughs> and even in other countries before, like, you're literally Germany's enemy. You have a lot of people in the U.S. just like, oh, yeah, like, fascism is where it's at. That's the future. <laughs> Jesus. You know, uh, and not just in the U.S., but other countries, too. But this initial anti-fascist movement gets crushed once the fascists get to power it's it's like just stomped out as much as possible they have a change in fortunes during world war ii because italy's really bad at it Mm -hmm. Uh, they do so badly that mussolini gets arrested they uh are going to depose him or whatever and start trying to get out of world war ii and make a deal with the allies and so germany has to like invade them and they send in like a paratrooper rescue mission to break Mussolini out to Holy be shit. like the puppet, you know, leader of like a shitty little puppet fascist state mm-hmm. of Italy called the Italian Social Republic. Wow. That's in 1943. That's when the resistenza, the uh, resistance takes off. Then you, this is where you have the, the partisans, the, the partigiano from Bella Ciao. <laughs> like that's that's what they're referencing. So the partisans are, are fighting against these guys. These you know, fighting a war of insurgency, war of national liberation against the Nazi occupiers. Hell yeah. And yeah, they're loser, spineless, fascist <laughs> collaborators. It's like the guys. Vichy government in France. Yeah, it's okay. like that, but in Italy. Yeah. So yeah, they fight alongside the Allies in World War II. They liberate Italy. They're successful in capturing and executing Mussolini and all that. Very fun stuff. Great. Love that. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, you know instrumental in freeing the country you know that uh i would say the left and then more broadly the anti-fascist movement was responsible for that you know and and were the ones who really made it that much easier for the allies to you know liberate italy so so coming out of the war you have this story this kind of heroic story yeah yeah yes our government did do shitty things but we do have certain groups of people that have like leadership in our amongst ourselves because they did the right thing so after that they have an election and in 1946 there's two parts there's a referendum are we going to do a republic or a monarchy oh no who's still throwing those around well there were people because like the old monarch had just gone along with the fascists basically cool, cool monarch and he realized at the end everyone thinks i'm a dipshit because i did that <laughs> so he abdicates for his son and his son's like more popular, younger guy. You know, mm, and they're like, oh, hot. he's cool. Yeah, you know. <laughs> like he's Umberto, Umberto, man. He's like, he's dope. <laughs> so some people still thought that was, you know, and they're traditionalist. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's the way they've done things. And so they have a vote on that. And it's the same election. They, they elect people to go write the Constitution, the Constituent Assembly. And the 
good thing about this election is the fascists, you don't have to worry about them. They've been arrested. They've been banned from participating. They're not really out there. Great. Love that. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> It'd be really cool if we could do that. Uh, the monarchists had that problem of like the old king, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of dipped their popularity a little bit. Uh, and the referendum goes 54-45 to the republic. Great. The constituent assembly part uh, really rewards those people that had been in that partisan movement. Uh, the socialists take 20.7% uh, and 115 of the 556 seats. The communists take 18.9% with 104 seats. Nice. So together they have a plurality. Yeah. The only single party that does better than them uh, is the Christian Democrat Party. Mm. Uh, they gets more than 35% and uh, 207 seats. What's their flavor? I mean, are they just like Democrats that like don't like abortion? No, they're like a, they're a centrist party. Mm -hmm. They So Christian democracy, broadly speaking, is a little religious. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is centrist in the sense that it's not like hyper free market. Mm -hmm. uh, it thinks that there should be social provisions and stuff for the poor. Okay. You know, sort of, but like, maybe they, you know, it's, it's limited. Uh, they, in that religious sense, tend to have more of a, at least historically, more of a traditional like family law type yeah, of sense. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So they would not be good on those issues. Those are, I think, the big things. Gotcha. Is that they're kind of moderate liberals as far as in the American perspective, modern mm -hmm. liberals, because I know in Europe it's like opposite. <laughs> and then socially, they're a little bit conservative. Gotcha. But they're, they're, they'll play a big role in the story. From all observations, this does seem to be a free and fair election. Great. Uh, it also kind of is a little bit of a wake-up call in combination with, you know, the end of the war, uh, communism and socialist, socialist governments are on the march in Eastern Europe. Uh, so in that, the Cold War is setting in. Mm, yeah. And the Western, you know, the capitalist countries were getting scared. Mm -hmm. This is a pretty uh, impressive performance in Italy uh, for the left. So, you know, we're seeing this is kind of cool. Yeah. They're seeing this is pretty scary. So <laughs> in the future, they're not going to play as nice as they did in that election. Okay. So anyway, the Constituent Assembly gets together. They draft up a new constitution. This is like the modern-day constitution for Italy, okay. the Republic of Italy. Wish we had one from, you know, a few decades yeah, back. 1947. <laughs> That's pretty the, modern. There are living people that saw that. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of... A, it's a, a mix that's reflective of those different political parties. Mm -hmm. So it has some, you know, traditional family value type law, uh, you know, family law stuff, but it's also got uh, fairly progressive provisions um, that you would expect to see in, in like a European social democracy sort of thing. Uh, free healthcare, free education, labor laws, this sort of thing. Nice. And, and this idea of these non-fascist parties taking part in building the constitution like that. That's called the constitutional arc or the arco constitutionale. Oh. That's, that's what they're able to craft together. The unfortunate, very unfortunate part is that even while they're doing this, they're already losing steam on the whole, like, we just beat the fascists. Let's make sure they don't come back. Oh, no. Sort of thing. They're already letting they that boot heel up. in the constitution, like, no fascism. They do. They okay. say you cannot literally try to bring back a fascist party, the fascist party, or the fascist party of Italy. Anything okay. named that or like overtly fascist, mm -hmm. we can ban you. Oh, right? well, there, it's ever going to be like a secret fascist now? Like, I'm not really fascist. Yeah. Oh, 
my yeah, god. Yeah, that's exactly what people do. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> Spoiler. Uh, but one thing they do because because the Italian Civil War is part of what it's called. Um, this is where you have the partisans versus the fascists. And then you also have like the resistance fight, which is the partisans versus the Nazis. German occupiers. Gotcha. It's all one, but... It's all one know, big fight. That was very bloody on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and both sides did. We have a side that we prefer. But both sides did what you would call, if you were a neutral observer, which you shouldn't be, but still, <laughs> uh, atrocities. Mm-hmm. Right? Very yeah, violent war, war crimes and stuff. Nasty shit. So afterward, uh, in looking at that, uh, people wanted to give pardons to people, amnesty to people who had done various war crimes. And the Christian democracy really wanted to give these to, you know, more of the people who had taken part in the fascist government um, because more of their guys had been collaborators in that than the <laughs> others. But um, the obviously the, uh, the socialist communists didn't want to. And mm-hmm. so they're kind of the way that they ended up doing the exchange was, uh, well, we have to give amnesty to partisans, too, if y'all are going to do that. Okay. All right. So they end up doing this. It's called the Togliatti Amnesty, named after the communist justice minister, Palmiro Togliatti. Great. Uh, which was a general amnesty for partisans and fascists for the violence of the war. So like everybody. So everybody, excluding high-ranking officials, some stuff like that. Okay. But it was very controversial. Yeah. Because it's commuted death sentences to life in prison, life sentences to 30 years, and reduced all sentences above five years by two-thirds. So lots and lots and lots That's a lot. of reduction. Can we and at least be like, hey, fascists, you don't get to vote, you don't get to, you don't get to be here, something. No. no, so you can ban literal fascist parties, but that was as close as you could do <sighs> okay. at this point. Um, and it was very unequally applied mm. to who got more leniency, you know, who are the, the police and the state going to give more leniency to? Who do you fucking think? Yeah, so the fascists got way more uh, of a past than partisans who were a lot of times treated more like petty criminals. You know, you were a bandit. You weren't really a partisan. Oh. Um, instead of, you know, you were a political prisoner. Later, they actually went past this and reduced sentences even more, basically letting the fascists off the hook altogether. Their official party... Uh, that they ended up forming. It was kind of this neo-fascist party called the Italian Social Movement. Sounds just like, let's go hang out. (laughs) They put on parties every Friday. Yeah. Uh, They get to exist because they don't call themselves, you know, fascist and they kind of reword their stuff and Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we just want like a rejuvenation of like, you know, we want to bring Italy back again, you know, this sort of stuff. Yeah, where have I heard that shit before? Yeah. So they don't get outright banned, but they are marginalized. So they're excluded. No one wants to make a cabinet with them. No one wants to talk to them. They suck. Yeah. And all the other parties kind of know it. They're like, ew. You know, so they're they're ostracized, basically. But they're free. You know, when they get to to vote, they get to do all this stuff and make things really bad. Mm, Okay. So already they're kind of losing steam on that amnesty thing. Letting the fascists back out. Uh, in May 1947, we haven't had these guys yet really, you know, rear their head here. The U.S. There they are. Uh, the U.S. Uh, goes in and strong arms France and Italy. This is called the May 1947 crises. Okay. And you know how they did like the Marshall Plan? 
yeah and stuff and they said oh we're gonna rebuild your country and everything they said hey we're gonna rebuild your country but you can't do shit like let the communists into your government oh no so they said basically you want marshall plan aid uh you have to kick out the communists from your government that like blows. literally told them that like hey do you want this money wow you need to do this that blows yep strings attached oh my god fucking short-term memory who's the one that helped you kick those nazi asses yeah so leaders in italy had this on their mind right they're like we've been working with these guys they're pretty popular we're we formed cabinets with them Mm -hmm. you know what are we going to do uh and it's may 1st 1947 that they get kind of the excuse that they're looking for there's a catastrophe that happens there's peasants that are demonstrating in sicily for May Day, it's mm-hmm. May 1st, uh, they get attacked uh, by this bandit that the mafia hired, like the Sicilian mafia, oh. Salvatore Giuliano. The mafia paid him to go and shoot up this peasant demonstration, uh, oh. killed 11 people, including four children, and wounded 27 others. Oh, God. Did they pin it, though, pretend he was, like, a communist or something? No, he claimed he was acting alone, but the communists knew that, you know, he was working for the mafia. And, I mean, everyone knew this. Yeah, okay. um, Because the mafia was trying to stave off, like, a rising leftist tide. They were worried that they were going to do land reform. They were worried it was going to cut into their cash. And they would love to have a government that's easily corrupted. Yes, for sure. Which would be fascist. (laughs) The official investigation, you know, didn't uncover any of that. People were mad about that. And because the left was so angry that the uh, Christian democracy-led government that was claiming the attack was unrelated, they, they were like, what's wrong with you? What, you know, and really raising hell. Combine that with the Americans saying, why don't you kick these guys out of your government? Shit. Uh, that's what they did. No. They went ahead and said, we're not working with these guys anymore. Get them out of here. We'll work with the people that shot up a demonstration. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so... The left ended up out of government then, uh, and here we get to the 1948 election, which we've covered before, so we're not going to get into detail. Well, I don't remember it. All right, so a recap then. (laughs) Was this from Black Shirts and Reds? Uh, Was this in there? I talked about this, I think, in the context of Operation Condor. Oh, okay. Um, How this was like a, this was one of the precursors. Gotcha. One of the examples of the CIA fucking with people. In this election, the communists and socialists teamed up electoral coalition called the Popular Democratic Front. Love a front. Uh, the U.S., super afraid of these guys, <laughs> use the CIA to back the Christian Democracy Party. Mm, okay. And they do massive propaganda. They produce forgeries to try to discredit uh, you know, leftist leaders. Uh, they th- send out threatening leaflets saying like, oh, you know, you better watch out. If you these communists win... Everything's going to be bad. Wow. You know, they're going to tear things up. They're going to you know, throw you out the street. radio station? Yeah, I think that they had a radio station as well. They did radio broadcasts. Um, overall, about $240 million in today's money. Uh, poured it into this. <laughs> and that's officially. That's uh, Yeah, there's definitely the more than that. <laughs> we know that they pilfered some of the Marshall Plan money to do it. Uh, and they also used some captured Nazi money. Just <laughs> why not? That was sitting around. Cool. <laughs> and... Uh, the result of that election uh, is that the uh, Christian Democrats end up winning, 48% to 31%. And the CIA keeps this playbook up. They've talked to agents who's like, hey, yeah, we like did that for like decades after that. 
just threw money around buying elections. What the fuck? Uh, fair and free, am I right? Yeah, and it was already even. I mean, we saw when they did have a fair and fair election, it was it was sort of split. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. not like the communists were running away with it or anything. But from then on, they're always playing on this completely uneven playing field. Totally. I was going to say, like, 48 to 31 or whatever. Like, that's not bad for having been actively sabotaged. Yeah, and it and also... kicked out of government. Yeah, yeah, that's another like, big like, part of it. Wouldn't that be a sign, like, I don't know if people actually are for this. Like, a third of people are still into them. Yeah, maybe we messed up. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that's interesting about the outcome of the 48 election is that the Italian Communist Party, so their their abbreviation that's usually used is in Italian, so it's PCI, ended up the biggest left party. So the Socialist Party, the Italian Socialist Party, kind of ends up in this mushy middle ground, mm. right? They're seen as kind of too light for people who want to be, you know, who are on the left. Why not go for the real left party? So too wimpy for them and then too radical for the centrists. Like, yeah. oh, I don't want to be with, the, you know. So they end up kind of a sliver yeah. compared to the other two, the Christian Democracy and Italian Communist Party. A couple other things on the political front. When Christian Democracy ends up forming its government, it's like in a coalition, you know? They have to team up with other people. They lose one of those coalition partners and they say, okay, well, we don't want to go to leftists. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Let's, uh, let's ask. This is in 1960. Let's see if we can do a little alliance with the Italian social movement. No, guys. The fascists. I, what is wrong? If this has been like, what, like four years, eight years since World War II? Yeah. Guys, come on. So... That, that was Italy's, basically the rest of Italy's reaction to that. Yeah. Was, what the fuck? What there the are fuck, widespread... Guys, we, we just finished doing this. Yeah. <laughs> widespread discontent, anti-fascist protests. The prime minister who tried to do that was just basically forced to resign because that was <laughs> such a dumb idea. Yeah. God, you force a fucking, wear a dunce cap. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, they kind of have to figure out, like, okay... If we can't do that, what are we going to do going forward? (laughs) And they muddle along. And apparently you can do this for a long time in parliamentary governments. Just like kind of not have a government, you know? Cool. Uh, You can do that a long time in our government, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They do figure it out in 1962 with what's called the Organic Center-Left Coalition. Now, what is that? So it sounds like they eat very healthy food. They are very green. (laughs) So this is just an alliance between Christian democracy the Italian Socialist Party. There we go. The Italian Democratic Socialist Party, which is like, you know, the Demsoc version of them. And the Italian Republican Party, which were, you know, sort of progressive, I think. Not very important to our story. They were there. <laughs> they were there. With this formation, you ended up with something that we're going to see that's going to play out the rest of the time. Is that you have in Italian politics, in the ruling parties, or like the coalition a unity against both the left wing of the uh, Communist Party and the right wing, the social movement. Cool. So they're like, you know, radical centrists or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not, I mean, they're not like unified really. They're all like... They're mushy. Yeah, they're doing their own things, but they're like, but we're not these guys. We're not 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 these guys. Yeah, we're not extreme. Trust us. Yeah. This formation does lead to the creation of kind of moderate social democratic reforms, building the welfare state in Italy, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, it also leads to something people call the Italian economic miracle. What's that? 
It's not as miraculous as it sounds. That sounds like they found like a really expensive cheese that makes them tons of money or something, <laughs> you know, like oh, mozzarella. Parmesan prices are through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So in the fifties and sixties, it does. It's not. A, it's not a hard formula. You start from rock bottom after World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pump the place full of Marshall Plan money. You get into a political alliance with one of the world's superpowers that you know needs needs to keep you doing good so that you don't fall quote unquote to communism <laughs> yeah you're gonna do fine you're gonna yeah. do great you're gonna do a lot better than you were before that's the miracle is that they turn their economy around and the miracle is they got u.s money yeah cool miracle came with some <laughs> fucking strings so yeah the you know gdp went up and and Somehow, strangely, not everybody was happy about this. <laughs> All right. Okay, so question. Yeah. With the Marshall Plan, you know, dangling money in front of them, they said, yeah, you have to kick the communists out. But they didn't, like, come down on their specific laws of, like, hey, don't do welfare reform. Hey, you know, don't, no. don't do that shit. And specifically, I think, because they realized, because they had done this in their own countries, the U.S. Mm-hmm. and Britain, had had realized that during World War II that they had to sort of, and before with the Great Depression, they had to build a little bit of a welfare state to keep people on their side and not have a domestic revolution. Okay, okay. So it wasn't total amnesty. Right. They or said austerity. Sorry. No, yeah, not total austerity. They kind of said, we're going to bring you as a junior into as a junior partner yeah get up to into our the level. imperialist project like you're going to be kind of part of us <laughs> cool here's the game we exploit these colonies this is the rest of the you know economic imperialism we bribe our people with it you can do some of that too you know cool. maybe not as as good as we do but so yeah uh pe- people you know aren't 100 percent happy with this of course you've got the t- excluded two groups from yeah. The political process there. They have parties. I mean, the communists are, are in, you know, they're in parliament. So they got to come back, I guess. They didn't get, so in parliament, in a parliamentary system, it's kind of like uh, in our system, if you're in the Senate, but you're on no committees, you don't do anything. That's what they meant by get rid of them. Like, they yeah. just can't have power. They can be there, but they can't really do big big shit. Right. So can't you don't get totally kicked out. The committees. Yeah. People get okay. to vote for you. But you're not ever nominated to be, you know, Secretary of State or, or mm. you know, Minister of Interior. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So you're but always on there. the sidelines. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's it kind of sucks because in election after election, they do they do fine. You know, <laughs> and so they get seats in the chamber, but they don't get seats at the table of making the big decisions. Bullshit. And that's going to be kind of a big problem because, one, the fascists, you know, they're not large in numbers, really. But ideologically, they believe in just using violence to use those small numbers and make it happen anyway. Yeah, sounds familiar. And they're going to enjoy support from their official party organ, the MSI. Uh, That's, you know, the Italian social movement, but reversed Mm -hmm. for Italian. Um, The MSI is going to assist them covertly. The, The communists, they're large in numbers. They're not really going to start out saying, let's just overthrow everything. Uh, But they're going to kind of get pushed to kind of see... To kind of come to see the this parliamentary system is like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Some of them. The official party is never going to be on board with that. Bummer. The official party is always going to condemn what we'll see, the violence that breaks out. But like, clearly it's not working. You're playing an unfair game. But they think that that game is going to change in their favor. What evidence do you have for that? We're going to see. Okay. Now this, there's none yet. Sorry, that was a but. real therapy sentence. <laughs> That's when I get dropped on. What evidence do you have? You're usually on the receiving end. Yeah, yeah, usually. (laughs) It's like, no, I just have a bad brain. 
<laughs> so uh, not everyone's satisfied with the miracle, you know, classic Marx and Engels. Crap miracle. Well, capitalism is developing, you know, and sure. all this shit is happening, but uh, how's that getting distributed? And yeah. who's doing the distributing of that, mm-hmm. right? People are asking this. Uh, and people want to change that. They want to democratize that, you know, socialize it and all that. And in rolls 1968. Crazy year. Sometime in the future we'll have to do an episode on Oh, you just like read 1968, the, the like, list of things that crazy. happened. Yeah. Hell yeah. In Italy specifically, most universities end up being occupied at some point. Uh, by whoops. By different student groups. And sometimes two at the same time. Sometimes they were leftist student <laughs> groups and right wing like student groups. Like different part of the campus. Yeah, like, oh, we've got the, you know, math and engineering building and you guys have the, you know, like. And which buildings would you take? And then, oh, at my university... I would have definitely took, taken the big main library. That was a cool mm. library. We just got a new art building in my alma mater, so I definitely would take that. Yeah. It's really big. Now it's like the largest art college in like a public school, I think. See, I probably would pick the wrong building because mine has like a bunch of new shit that is probably way nicer than, you know, mm. a lot of the stuff that I, oh, I would pick this. And people <laughs> are like, that building sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, mine's totally new. No history. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, anyway. Students occupying universities. And from that, which in Italy was called the Sessantotto. Cease everything? Oh, uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm, this is I thought it was purely something, based on Spanish, y'all. <laughs> I thought it was something like like 60, because like Sessanto. Oh. Is it with something? an S or a C? S-E-S-S. Mm, see, that sounds more like, like, like six. Yeah, I was picturing a C, like cease. Ah. From the 68 protests, though, workers started joining in on students' calls for social reform, for more class consciousness, and adding to that demands for increased wages and better working conditions. Hell yeah. All right, so you kind of have a confluence here. And wouldn't you know it, waves of strikes ensue, and you end up in the autunno caldo, or the hot Hot autumn. autumn. Yeah, like caldo like a soup. Yeah, autumn soup. (laughs) That sounds good. I'd take an autumn soup. Not right now. It's too fucking hot. Oh, yeah. Ugh. So you end up in the hot autumn. There's hot a autumn. strike wave. I mean, it makes sense. You know, the growth, 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 expand, expand, expand. The economic miracle mm-hmm. has to come to an end at some point. And once you have a slowing influx of workers who are coming from these jobs, well, now you have a labor shortage. Right? And so now the workers have more power to flex their muscles and say hey we're not going to work for that wage because who are you going to get then you have this wave of strikes you of course with that comes all the violence that the employers wield against you uh strike breakers uh you know the violence of workers defending themselves Um, fascist and anti-fascist paramilitaries start springing up and this is kind of the polarizing kind of kickoff event to the years of lead is this kind of wave of strike violence uh, but first, before we get into when people just start shooting and bombing and everything, uh, let's kind of get into the cast of characters for this. Okay. Uh, do you want to do left wing or the right wing first? Let's do let's do left wing. Start with left the goodies. Wing. All right. So the good guys first. Uh, the groups. These are the groups like to the left of the Communist Party. So they're oh, because the Communist Party never comes out for violence. Right. The Communist Party is dedicated to par- getting parliamentary power, mm-hmm. to being respectable. Nerds. They're nerds. Okay. All right. In, Not the in, cool kind like we are. In Italy, yeah. <laughs> so groups to the left of them are, you know, willing, they're going to be willing to take violent action in these certain circumstances. Who's and, standing up? And they get condemned by, you know, like we said, by the communists. So first up, I'm doing this in, in kind of the order they appear okay. on the stage. 
1967 through 1973, a group called Potera Operao translates to workers' power. They were a political group. They were part of something called the Operaismo movement, mm-hmm. or the workerist movement, Okay. Uh, which saw workers' struggles as the driving force of capital's reaction. So I thought this was an interesting way to put it. They said that capital's technological advancement, you know, is not just something that's independently happening, but they said that it was driven in reaction to worker uprisings and, mm. and workers demanding more. They said capitalists basically get scared into doing things. I mean, yeah, I think it's a, I don't know if it's exactly in that direction, but there's definitely a give and take. I definitely see that with like automation and just like the way, you know, I, I, the beginning of the book I'm reading, which I mm-hmm. can't get through. Uh, they talk about like the modes of production being informed by by workers and and what you think you can kind of get away with and things like that. So I think that makes sense. Yeah, I thought that was a good way to think about it or a good insight. I don't think it's a radical departure. I just think it's a cool like lens Mm -hmm. to kind of see things through. Um, So they said, yeah, you know, technological development, political changes in terms of like laws and stuff, you know, changes in labor regulations for good or ill is like either cracking down on or being complacent toward, you know, what your working workers are demanding. So kind of uh, emphasizing that uh, aspect to it and, and praxis-wise, emphasizing organizing industrial workers. That's not, I don't think, new, but this came from the student movement, so that's kind of why they had to say that. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> they hey, were on a campus. That's not us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movement ends up kind of evolving or growing into uh, something called autonomism. Mm. Uh, which is a kind of Marxism from the ground up. I'm not going to explain this extremely well. Like, there's way more to it. But from my point of view, it seemed to be more anti-party, more anti-hierarchical. All right, more Uh, grassroots. Yeah, a little bit more anarcho Mm. in in Stripe. And it was more like um, it should kind of be, people should build these, like anarchists would more say, like not mutual aid necessarily, but that's sort of a, horizontal network of people yeah autonomous things that that was going to be the revolutionary structure that's cool yeah and i I don't think i'm really explaining it well but that was my (laughs) gist of it kind of in tandem with potera operaio uh you had uh lota continua which was in 1969 to 1976 continuous struggle struggle okay continuous struggle uh they are very similar to workers power in terms of like their ideology in my opinion like it didn't Mm -hmm. seem to be too much different uh they were focused on spreading radical politics from students they were a student movement to workers cool uh the cool thing i wanted to highlight for them was they had this cool comic strip in their newspaper (gasps) called gasparazzo it has i put a couple of pictures in the notes for you patrons uh but i can let you describe these if you want they're pretty good Ooh, okay we've got some babies in the front playing with a cup or maybe a bucket bucket they're in a sand castle um, the bucket is labeled reform and they're very pleased with themselves and in the back there's an angry worker that says general strike and then like i think the babies their faces are weird so i think they're supposed to be they're characters sp- i think yeah they're specific people yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh oh i love this one there's a guy looking at a fire labeled msi he pisses on it and walks away happy it's like a Calvin and, Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes. Old school. Worker Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. That's 
Comrade Calvin. Calvin's pissing on some <laughs> not swastika or something. Yeah. Dude, what would you do? Like, what, what would uh, the the kind of the Calvin and Hobbes pissing on people crew? <laughs> what would they do if like some some you know big dude pulls up to a truck stop or whatever and he's got a Calvin and Hobbes pissing on a swastika? <laughs> Like, I don't know. I like half of this. Half of it makes me angry. <laughs> yeah. But that was a, I don't know. I love, I love that, the, that was cute. The comic there. Uh, so that's Lota Continua. Uh, in 1970 through 1988, you have one of our main players, the Red Brigades, Ooh. or the Brigate Rosse. Lovely. They were uh, a Marxist-Leninist group. Great. Did a lot of crimes. Cool. So they did some cool crimes like bank robberies. Yeah. Sabotage of like industrial equipment and stuff. Cool. Uh, some more controversial ones like Uh-oh. kneecapping people, uh, rich people. Oh, wow. But still <laughs> kneecapping them. Pretty mean. I mean. Uh, and kidnappings. Hmm. And sometimes murder. Oh, you know. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Th- uh, Oh. They were. We'll get more into their activities later. They were founded by Renato Curcio, Margarita Cargol, and Alberto Francaccini. Next, 1976 to 1983, you have the Prima Linea. The first line. Close. The front line. Fuck. The first okay. line would be like hockey. Like your first line, you send out your first oh, line. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that would be cool, too. They were a communist group also doing crimes like assassinations, armed robbery, kneecappings, popular thing, <laughs> and bombings. Wow. Yeah. These guys end up forming from like more radical members that uh, got kind of bored with uh, <laughs> like crime. Potera Operio and Lata Continua. They were like, this is, let's, like let's do, do more. some more stuff. Yeah. Okay. So they were, they were kind of wanted to do more armed shit. Now, Tough guys. Uh, on the left, you also had uh, alleged help from foreign countries. Mm, like whomst? Well, I do want to emphasize alleged because um, this is on the Red Brigade's Wikipedia page, and the sources seem to be communist defectors mm. and others, like seemingly probably leaning anti-communist sources. Yeah. But it, and all of it seemed bad. So one, you had the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization. That sounds good. Uh, who might have allowed them to use training camps there and maybe smuggled weapons to them. Cool. Uh, you also had the <laughs> Czechoslovakian secret police uh, who maybe helped train people and smuggle in weapons. Okay. And you also had uh, the Yugoslavian Tito's secret police. Mm. Uh, which all that said is they had close ties. So yeah. that's like a wife's, I don't know, that's... Yeah, it's very not like secondhand. They were like giving them tons of money, or you know. Yeah, there's like pictures of them, <laughs> like at the thing. Like they didn't move troops in. Yeah. I don't know. Training weapons. That's it's something, but it's not. It's not like that scandalous, in my opinion. Right. Like you capture this Red Brigades guy and you pull off his mask and he's, he's actually like Czechoslovakian or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Can't speak a word of Italian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's kind of our left wing cast of characters we'll mention these guys as, as we go through but just to there's a lot partially yeah to partially to give you that impression that yeah there, there are a lot yeah of different groups all right who are the baddies so the baddies these guys are you know you have the the msi out there mm-hmm. the ones in parliament are actually saying like you know we shouldn't have violence and stuff in the streets like this is not the way we need to we need to win power fucking want but but when you're secretly aiding all these groups they were yeah oh my fuck these guys and that's one of the th- big things too about this is when you're looking at the foreign help and stuff it's really one-sided and mm-hmm. when you're looking at the domestic game too like you said 
it's also one-sided. Mm. The communists are over here saying like, no, let's not, let's not do the violent stuff. And you have to ask yourself like, what good does that do you when your opponents is saying that and also doing it? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's very frustrating. <sighs> anyway, let's start in 1956 to 1973. You have a group of assholes called the Ordine Nuovo, the New Order. Order. That sounds really sinister. Yeah, uh, it looks sinister too. Oh yeah, they got I'll show you a logo. logo. No, they don't. Missed opportunity. That's, that's, that's their logo. Oh, I thought it was a little bow tie, and I was like, that's cute. Oh, that's cute. Uh, no, it's in a, a double-sided axe. Yes, yeah, it works way better as a bow tie. I thought it was a cute little bow tie. I was like, it was adorable. Yeah. Uh, they were a neo-fascist paramilitary slash political group. Mm. Okay, one terminology note. From what I read, and I've read all too much of this, <laughs> but I really wasn't focused on the theory of it. I was just focused on like these groups and the, the, the history of it. Neo-fascist and fascist doesn't just seem to be thing. different. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you're We're doing you, it again. Yeah, like retro. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they listened to their grandpa too. Well, not even their grandpa. They list, They waited eight years and then did it again. <laughs> like, ugh. Yeah. It's not even like a long enough reactionary cycle. <laughs> so they were a paramilitary slash political group. They were really weird. Uh, mm-hmm. They were into super into this guy named Julius Evola. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was esoteric guy. How esoteric was he? He looks kind of weird, but he regarded his values as aristocratic, monarchist, masculine, traditionalist, heroic, and defiantly reactionary. Sounds like a bad D and D character sheet. You know, like when you write your traits. <laughs> yeah, he um, his writings blended various ideas of German idealism, Eastern doctrines, traditionalism, and interwar conservative revolution with themes such as hermeticism, the metaphysics of war and sex, okay. Tantra, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, mountaineering, the <laughs> Holy Grail, civilizations, and decadence. There's some weird... Co- this sounds like a fucked up Jeopardy game. This is... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 man. This is uh, like the 1950s... Uh, Jordan Peterson or something like the, the internet guy, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, Nazis definitely fucked around with mysticism, so I'm not like super surprised, but, but he's like new agey, you know? Yeah. And like this crystal will keep away black people, but he's also like, Oh, but you should also be traditionalist and like, you know, mm-hmm. worship your King and stuff. So <laughs> the stupid. The King should have this crystal for power. So they liked that guy a lot. They were, they thought the MSI was like bullshit, uh-huh. you know, loser squares, they're doing like, parliamentary stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They end up getting banned in 1973 for being too fascist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they change their name oh. and change their symbol and say, oh, no, we're not the <laughs> Ordine Nuovo. No, now we're the Ordine Nero in 1974 to 1978. It's, yeah, because Nero's got great connotation to work from. Uh, yeah, well, that's the Black Order. Okay. And uh, they change their logo. When they're accused of being fascist, oh, they no. change their logo to this. Guys, that's just a swastika <laughs> with a fasci over it. What? <laughs> no, hey, don't worry. We're just different guys. <laughs> well, you think that's too fit? Like, that has to be a troll. Like, yeah, fuck you. Oh, you think we're fascist? Yeah. <laughs> Check this shit up. So, um, they're going to do some fucked up shit later. I can fucking tell just by the logo. These guys, also neo-fascist guys, were called the Avanguardia Nazionale, the National Vanguard. Mm. They also have a fash logo. Let's see it. Whoa, yeah, that's it's pretty. Like knock off. When you put a white circle in a red field with big black stuff in the middle. Things rarely turn out well. No, yeah. So they were formed uh, as a street fighter crew, like old school brown shirts kind of. Mm-hmm. 
also thought the MSI was too square, you know. Yep. Uh, they were founded by Stefano Della Chiai. Uh, we've mentioned him before when we talked about the Operation Condor stuff. Oh, okay. Because he was involved in that. Cool. Uh, you know, lovely guy, mercenary, <laughs> involved in Operation Condor, terrible dude. Great resume. Uh, yeah, he sucked. Uh, you also had, uh, from 1977 to 1981, the Nuclei Armati Revolutionati. Revolutionary Nucleus. Kind of, yeah, the Armed Revolutionary Nuclei. So, neo-fascists, terrorist group, they were founded by Valerio Fioravanti, a former child actor and self-described loser. Wow. He said something like, uh, we never worried about defeat. We were always losers or something. Oh. And I think he meant like underdog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said about defeat, we never cared. We are a generation of losers, always on the side of the defeated. And maybe, like, yeah, maybe it's a bad translation. He's yeah. like, God, did you just call me a loser? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you had them. And uh, lastly in this category... Before we get to foreign help, we're going to... This is a really wacko uh, group that okay. we could do a whole episode on uh, called Propaganda Due. Uh, this is from 1966 to 1982. It's also called the P2 Masonic Lodge. Ooh. Uh, and it used to be a Masonic Lodge. It was okay. like defunct. They had, I think you've told me about this before. Yeah. These guys are wild. They, they like basically stopped having meetings and stuff and this one guy joined and then two years later he's like I'm just going to take this place over <laughs> and like do something different with it. A guy named Licio Gelli. He turns it into this like secret right wing society okay. thing. It's super notorious but this is like it's brief Wikipedia rundown mm-hmm. of what they some some stuff they did. Some highlights. But they are like the one of the secret societies that Italians seem to keep going back to is like in conspiracy theories and stuff mm. like oh there's a theory that p2 was in this okay illuminati yeah but pr- there, a lot of this shit is pretty real uh they were implicated in numerous italian crimes and mysteries including the collapse of banco abrogiano whose chairman was a p2 member and whose main shareholder was the vatican bank which is alleged to that's the vatican bank oh. that one uh, which is alleged to have let the CIA launder money to the Solidarity Movement in Poland, the guys that were like trying to take down socialism oh, oh, in Poland, oh. and the Contra rebels in Nicaragua through the Vatican wow. Bank using Banco Abrogiano, which was P2, run by P2 chairman. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. The murder of banker Roberto Cavalli, the chairman of that bank. <laughs> Corruption cases uh, such as the nationwide bribe scandal in Italy called Tangentopoli, which took down like almost all of the ruling par- or popular parties then at the time, <laughs> and came to light through investigations into the collapse of Michel Sindona's financial empire. He was like a mob bankster guy, mm. a mobster banker guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, banker for the mob is what I mean. Uh, they had among their members prominent journalists, members of parliament, industrialists, and military leaders, including the late great Silvio Berlusconi, who later became prime minister of Italy, uh, the Savoy pretender to the Italian throne, Victor Emmanuel, and the heads of all three Italian intelligence services. <gasps> when searching Gelli's vi- Via in 1982, police found a document entitled Plan for Democratic Rebirth. Which, <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. a really ominous title. <laughs> which called for a consolidation of the media, 
suppression of trade unions, and the rewriting of the Italian Constitution. Wow. I imagine this is like a leather red journal with like a fucking skull drawn on it or something. (laughs) The secret plan. Yeah, like an imperial, Star Wars imperial sign on there. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, So those guys are not like, these guys are shadowy figures in a lot of these uh, events that we're going to talk about. And they're some of the conspiracy theories that are on the main pages of these on Wikipedia <laughs> are lengthier than the regular part of the article themselves. <laughs> and seem it seems it's sometimes the case that I'm like, I think it was one of the conspiracy theories. I have no idea which one, but I'm pretty sure it was something else other than this weird ass story I just read. So it's bizarre. But these guys are almost always involved in even in investigations where we think we have the official story. These guys, they their members get put up on charges and sometimes acquitted, sometimes found guilty of obstructing the investigation. Because mm-hmm. you're just like, like the literal, the actual deep state. That's everyone's. In, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of stuff that makes you like that makes you paranoid. Yeah. So that's P two. Um, like I said, a whole episode on this dude someday. Maybe <laughs> it's nuts. I'm gonna be. I'll, I'll need a break after that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and some foreign help for the bad guys. Oh, I wonder who's there. The CIA. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned Operation Gladio. Do you remember what that was? No. I okay. have a Swiss cheese brain. <laughs> <laughs> so Operation Gladio was a secret stay-behind network of armed anti-communist resistance cells. Okay. They built this up throughout Western Europe. Initially, the goal was like, in case the Soviet Union invaded, you were mm. going to have these stay-behind networks to do like a guerrilla uh, movement to try to fight back against that. Were they fucking around in Greece was a different thing. Greece too, yeah. Okay. These were all umbrella term called Gladio, but that's kind of like how we call all tissue Kleenex. <laughs> okay. The Italian one was the literal Operation Gladio. Uh, okay, gotcha. But yeah, when, when you're building a stay-behind network of anti-communist people, you know, you're going to be working with right-wing paramilitaries. Yeah. So... That meant uh, helping to supply the lovely groups that we were just mentioning, not just in those early beginning of the Cold War times, mm-hmm. but they kept that going well into the 70s, <laughs> arming these groups that were blowing stuff up and assassinating people. God, okay. Uh, guns, ammos, explosives, like, they, they traced this shit. That's actually how they found out that Operation Gladio was a thing. Wow. It's because Italian investigators were like, wait, where the fuck are they getting <laughs> fucking C4? Yeah. And she, you know, that's, that's, that's how they... Tracked that down. Same place everyone else does, the CIA. Well, another aspect of this that I found really interesting, and we'll see kind of throughout, is the notion of a strategy of tension. Okay. So this was a policy that the CIA was kind of following in Italy and has used in other places, uh, and that the government was more or less in on, or at least you know, kind of the P2 affiliated and, and the Gladio secret, you know, guys too were affiliated with them. Um, they, they were following the strategy of tension, which was either trumping up or allowing communist uh, insurgent groups to do attacks as an excuse to go after regular, crack down on regular non-violent group communists okay. or discredit them and say, you're all like this Yeah. on the one hand. On the other hand, allowing or facilitating uh, fascist groups and their attacks. And if those so happen to silence particular opponents you want silenced, 
Great. Then that's a great added benefit. Wow. And both of these sources of violence serve the purpose, you know, each of their purposes, but the combined purposes of stoking fear. Scaring people. In your population. Getting more power. Yeah. Oh, that's nasty. Yeah. It was essentially intentional destabilization or, you know, Uh. freaking people out. So that you could reap the rewards on on both sides, because you're kind of palpatining it. You're like doing both sides, you know. What's really sinister about this is is two of the attacks that we'll talk about, and perhaps more. These are the only two that were mentioned in the articles I was reading. But two of these attacks, U.S. intelligence agencies knew about ahead of time, and didn't do anything to stop them or to tell Italian security (laughs) services that they were going to happen. Of course. So when we get to them, the Piazza Fontana bombing. And the Piazza della Loggia bombing, those they knew about. God, preventable. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the bombings. First Great. one. Great. Tell me about them. <laughs> so in the years of lead, we're going to kick off with December 12th, 1969, the Piazza Fontana bombing, uh, where Ordina Nuovo terrorists exploded a bomb at the National Agricultural Bank headquarters in Milan. Uh, this killed 17 people and wounded 88. Also, three more bombs went off in Milan and Rome, and another one, like, failed to go off. Shit. They had, like, kind of a, you know, not as many people, but they had as coordinated of an attack as, like, what we would say in, like, 9-11. So, there's all these different things going, you know? Preventable. Again. Yeah, that's one the U.S. knew about and didn't do anything to try to stop. The cops immediately focused their search on anarchists. They said, well, you heard about Chicago, yeah, Haymarket riots, it's got to be them. Uh, And so the cop in charge of investigating far-left political movements, a guy named Luigi Calabresi, ordered mass arrests. And one of those that he brought in was a local anarchist activist named Giuseppe Pinelli. He was illegally detained for more than 48 hours before Mm -hmm. being questioned. And then he fell from the fourth floor window dead oh he fell by accident little whoopsie do uh yeah he was dead on arrival at the hospital Mm. the doctor said he had suffered abdominal injuries a series of gashes on his head a big bruise on his neck possibly he said from a karate blow and was either dead or unconscious as he hit the ground yeah okay that's That's what what the doctor said the official story or started as a suicide and then evolved to fainting and losing his balance. What? Yeah. Okay. Like, oh, he fainted, he got ill. I'm surprised and the doctor didn't fucking that. faint. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Set himself on fire in his yeah, car or something. Yeah, just some weird, you know, stuff. So that's what happened to Giuseppe Pinelli. People protested at this. This was crazy. You know, they were like, how, you know. What the fuck? Yeah, what's going on? Did they and pin it on him, though? Uh, I mean, he was dead, but yeah, they... they, they but they, they afterwards, they're like, it was definitely him. Depending on him and another guy as well, Vin mm. Breno, I forgot his name. Uh, the cop that was investigating it, he actually wasn't in the room when the interrogation happened, but he was, you know, he's the one who brought him in, and, and then I think one of his guys was um, either P2 or Gladio. He, he was in one of those intelligence <laughs> agencies. He was secretly, like, working mm-hmm. for the National Intelligence Agency. People were protesting about this, and on May 17th, 1972, a little later in our story, uh, that cop, Calabresi, got shot dead on his way to work by Lotta Continua assassins. 
this is fascist ones? No, no, no. Lots of continuous, continuous struggle. That's right. That's right. I was like, I didn't, I didn't think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. So they were like, blam. There you go, Calabrese. <laughs> they get tried and convicted for killing him. Yeah, well. Um, they eventually do find out. And that's why, you know, they, they do try and convict people um, from the fascist side. They're like, oh, shit, they did it, you know. But it's not till later. Not till they go through all that first. God. So that's kind of how things get kicked off. It's this back and forth, you know. They unfairly kill this anarchist guy. Then, you know, the left comes in and, and kills the, the cop who was part of it. You know, maybe not the most instrumental part. But, yeah, yeah. But you know, they, and so yeah. it that's going to be kind of the pattern is this escalation, this, this continuous back and forth. Mm. This is an interesting side story to this. In 1970, uh, you have something called the Golpe Borghese which is a sad January 6th type right-wing coup attempt. Oh, okay. Uh, it was codenamed by its perpetra- would-be perpetrators, uh, Operation Tora Tora, after Pearl Harbor, like, you know. Mm. Uh, and it was even scheduled for the night of December 7th. Oh. It was led by a guy named Junio Valerio Borghese, a neo-fascist known, dorkily enough, as the Black Prince. Uh, okay. Some of these guys need to just find a D&D campaign and just, <laughs> just get your energy out that way. Y'all are yeah. fucking dorks. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a monarchist, esotericist. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a sorcerer. Okay? Yeah, just chill out, bro. <laughs> get some friends. Uh, it was supported by members of, by that National Vanguard right-wing group. Yeah. The Avant-Garde Nationale and dissident army members. The plan was we're going to kidnap the president. We're going to assassinate the head of police because he's, he's, he's not on our side, you know. Mm-hmm. And we're going to seize key government ministries. And that, that was their plan. So How hard they get? Well, some militants had actually started to gather at particular government buildings. And some of them were armed. And all of them were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go in there. And we're going to arrest these guys, these traitors. And we're going to take power. But Borghese called it off at the <gasps> last minute. Okay. Why? Well, couldn't find his cape. We don't really know for sure. Uh, his excuse was that, oh, no, 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 we weren't doing anything bad. We were. We, this was going to be a protest. Uh-huh. Um, we were doing a protest because Tito was going to come visit, and we don't like him. Oh, fuck off. But, you know, it was raining, so we didn't want to get, like, our hair messy, so we canceled it. <laughs> and Borghese said, fuck off. He fucked right off to Franco's Spain uh, to, to flee, like, arrest warrants and shit. <gasps> For trying to do a coup. Wow. It's funny, though. The plotters eventually get acquitted of all this. The judges say because nothing actually happened. And they kind of <laughs> just dog on him here. The, this, the judge says... You can get tried for conspiracy, though. Sure. I think it was maybe it was more embarrassing. So shitty, like... Yeah, the judge said um, the plot only existed, quote, in a private meeting between four or five 60-year-olds. So insulting. Yeah, some old guys like got a little drunk one night. We're not telling you. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, damn, that's That's pretty harsh. All right. More serious, though. May 31st, 1972, we had the Petiano Massacre. Uh, Police got an anonymous tip of a suspicious car in Sagrado, and they checked it out. And the three of the cops that go to investigate this car find that there's a bomb that blows up in their face. And they die. Uh, is planted by neo-fascist Vincenzo Vinciquiera. Why are they killing cops? They're the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? But they think they're, they're, they're not too cool. Like, mm-hmm. we're too cool for the cops. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're punks, you know? And they think the cops are sellouts, you know? They're, yeah. they're working for 
these the government. Yeah. Uh, the police, doing their job extremely well as always, mm-hmm. falsely blamed Lata Continua. Oh my God. <laughs> Can't get a break. But subsequent investigation found more than the real culprits. This investigation is what initially uncovered Operation Gladio. <gasps> because Vince Aguirre, The C4. Uh, had gotten the C4 from a Gladio weapons dump. Oh my God. They were like, how the fuck does this guy, NATO uses this, like what? (laughs) And that's... Wow. uh, He confessed and he testified that he'd been covered by an entire network of sympathizers in Italy and abroad who had ensured that after the attack he could escape. He said a whole mechanism came into action. That is the Carabinieri, that's like the National Police, mm-hmm. uh, the Minister of the Interior, the Customs Services, and the Military and Intelligence Services accepted the ideological region- reasoning behind the attack. Wow. That's nuts. Here's something else he said that I thought was very interesting. With the massacre of Petiano and with all those that have followed, the knowledge should by now be clear. This is Vince Aguirre still. That there existed a real live structure, occult and hidden with the capacity of giving a strategic direction to the outrages. It lies within the state itself. There exists in Italy a secret force parallel to the armed forces composed of civilian and military men in an anti-Soviet capacity that is to organize a resistance on Italian soil against a Russian army. So he's talking about Gladio. Yeah, yeah. A secret organization, a super organization with a network of communications, arms and explosives, and men trained to use them. Or fucking P2, too. Like, there's so much going on in there. Yeah, he's just, like, laying it all out there. Wow. And the, you know, judges... Because basically all these uh, Gladio uncoverings uh, come from, like, different judges investigating a case mm-hmm. and just essentially exposing this shit. Jesus. Um, what was the reaction? Is everybody pissed? Uh, yeah, I mean, they had congressional hearings. It's, it's in the 90s, early 90s, that the prime minister actually, like, reveals... This was just in court and stuff earlier, but yeah. actually reveals publicly, like, yeah, there was this thing. So they kept it under wraps for 20 years. Yeah. There was this thing, Gladio, that apparently was going on. And, you know, even people in the political class were upset about it because a lot of them weren't in it. <laughs> hey, nobody <laughs> yeah. tried to bribe me. <laughs> yeah, they weren't in P2. They weren't in this. And they're like, come on, I, I look like a dipshit cool. out here trying to do things. <laughs> but actually, they're secret assholes controlling it. Yeah. You know? It's crazy. So... Uh, that was the Petiano massacre in 1973, April 16th. You had the Prima Valle fire, uh, which was an arson attack on the home of MSI activist Mario Mattei, uh, which killed two of his sons, one of whom was eight. Oof. Uh, they found pamphlets uh, claiming proletarian justice, death to the fascists, etc. So they blamed it on three Potera Operaio members. Who protested and said it was not actually them. It was actually like some sort of factional mm-hmm. fascist dispute. You know, this was not us. Oh. Uh, there were lots of protests at the trial. And a Red Brigades member even sh- uh, shot dead a fasci- fascist uh, militant there named Mikis Montecasset uh, at one of these protests. And, you know, it, gets, it ends up getting put on trial and everything for that. The Potera Operaio members who are accused of the fire are initially found not guilty. Two of them had also fled the country by that point. So only one of them was there. And then by the time they're, uh, they do a retrial, I don't know, they have more evidence or something. They're found guilty. 
Wow. But by that point, everyone had left. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, take the hint. <laughs> you should leave. They also found out by that point, or later on, that it really was done by them. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. They admitted it afterward. Uh, one of the group's co-founders, Franco Piperno, uh, later admitted the group did an internal investigation. Yeah. They were like, was this us? They were interrogating one of the accused, and he admitted that they did it, but they were like, this is gone too far. There's too much public support. We just have to stick with the story. Wow. So that's kind of shitty. That's I mean, shitty. That's it's a, a shitty position to be in. Well, you should be burning eight-year-olds, guys. Yeah. I, I feel comfortable taking that one. It's like their home. You don't know what's happening there. Yeah. Like, you know? that's not the bad guy. Be more accurate. And he wasn't high up. I mean, he was like, he was in MSI. I mean, only he was an activist, but it's not mm-hmm. like you got the know, their guy. party leader or something. You yeah, know? that's right. Someone rough. really, quote unquote, in the game or something. Or, you know what? Honestly, one of the fascist guys, like, you, you should be wary about attacking their home because, again... Who knows? They probably have some C4 in there. Well, that, yeah. But, you know, if you kill them on the streets, they, they signed up for the game. I mean, yeah, honest, yeah. But, but just like, I mean, these are the squares. I mean, they're... Yeah, they're like in Parliament and stuff, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, they suck. They're fascists. They suck. Don't get me wrong. I would love to punch them in the I face. I think that's not it. It's not dis- distinguishing between MSI and the fascist paramilitaries. It's That's that's evil and evil. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not the, the civilian yeah. like, part of it. You don't want to target so wantonly that that's possible yes yes like if it happens that's not good but if you were trying not to it's not so bad but that's not really trying not to. no they were going for it yeah that's not a great look uh may 17 1973 you had the milan police headquarters bombing a quote-unquote anarchist <laughs> threw a grenade at a memorial service for luigi calabresi the assassinated cop from yeah Berlin. yeah they had a memorial service for him this guy shows up grenade <laughs> Uh, kills four and wounds 45. Wow. Guy's name is Gianfranco Bertoli. Uh, he was, turns out, a longtime rat for Italy's military intelligence agency. Oh, my God. He had long kept ties with anti-communist and neo-fascist organizations who were linked to Operation Gladio. Why was he bombing a cop's memorial? Because then he said... I'm an anarchist. Oh, he was just fucking being a rat in, in that way. He was just trying to pin it on him. Yeah. What a, a fucking... false flag attack. He <sighs> denied being in Gladio, but come on. Totally was. <laughs> oh my God. What a fuckhead. Yeah. So that's the kind of shit too, is they could do it for real and say, be scared, you mm-hmm. know, give us more power. Or they could let the communists do it and then say look at the communists we gotta crack down the communists or they could pretend to be the communists and do it either way you're fucked yeah oh that's uh insidious may 28th 1974 uh this is another one that the u.s intelligence agencies knew about and didn't stop the piazza della loggia bombing this was carried out by ordine nuovo fascists it killed eight people and wounded more than a hundred with a bomb in a trash can during an anti-fascist protest. Wow. Uh, August 4th, 1974, you have a train bombing. The Italicus Express bombing killed 12 and wounded 48. Ordino Nero just said, or Nero, I said earlier, whichever one, just said, <laughs> we did it. Wow. Uh, How are we not rounding these people up yet? Because they're in the government. Yeah, some of those that burn crosses. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're the same. They're the same person. That's why. <laughs> uh, from ni- so 
1975 to 1977, there were a lot of murders. Okay. I didn't get into the murders much because most of them didn't have their own article. That's okay. <laughs> the plain, <laughs> so, plain fact. Abbreviated. Yeah. More or less, it was a back and forth between fascists and communists, not one for one, but there was a little bit of a balance. In 1978, it starts to pick up in the numbers and looks way more like the communists are doing more murdering, uh, mainly the groups of Prima Linea and the Red Brigades. Okay. Uh, but that's only the ones listed on Wikipedia. Overall, between the period of 1969 and 1975, which is just before that kind of list, attacks and political violence were mainly right-wing groups. 95 percent from 1969 to 1973 and 85 percent in 1974 and 78 percent in 1975. wow just that alone should be enough to be like who's the bad guy here yeah so they were the ones mainly doing it in those years and maybe the left really steps it up and starts going to town (laughs) we need to raise our numbers guys (laughs) or maybe it's like selection bias and they're Mm -hmm. only posting the ones that you know that the left wing did i don't know interesting yeah but that's the trend I saw on the Wikipedia. I really did not dive for that one. I wasn't that interested. Uh, but in this time, there is there are some political changes happening, too. Okay. Yeah, we what's the response to all this shit? Right, because the government's still happening. Regular people like, are doing yeah, shit. Yeah, what are regular people even doing right now? Just fucking hiding? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, people are trying to stay safe. People are trying to figure out, like, how can the government do something about this or function better to where people aren't doing this? You know, there's a lot of... of changes happening and people that honestly believe in you know their different causes and stuff and you know people who want want the communists to you know get power Mm -hmm. or want them to evolve in a certain way and one way that they start evolving uh is under one of their leaders enrico bellinguer who was sort of a moderate uh, a moderating sort of figure or maybe a reformer in the party started distancing the party from the Soviet Union. Mm. Yeah, started talking in a more democratic socialist and less Marxist-Leninist way. Okay. Uh, and uh, offers some criticism, which sometimes is okay. I mean, That's okay. You know, I'm yeah. not, it's not like I was big into it in the 70s. It right. wasn't their best hour, I don't think. Yeah, it was just Brezhnev. And, and I think at some party conference in Moscow, he kind of raised eyebrows and everyone was like, dude, do you know where you are? Are you at the right <laughs> place? Because he was like, yeah, we're gonna do our own thing. Like we don't, you know, we don't want to do what you're doing. We don't think that you're doing the right thing over here. And kind of, you know, really talked back in a way, you know, wow. that they weren't used to. Uh, so he was kind of charting his own course, and it was kind of popular. This guy was in the like Communist Party. Yeah, in, okay. in the Italian Communist Party, uh, and it was kind of popular. They were the largest communist party in a capitalist country. Wow. Yeah, but they, but they still were locked out. Like, yeah, you know. If that's long agreement. Uh, so in 1973, you have the horrifying coup in Chile. Mm, right? Yeah, yeah. That goes to Pinochet, taking out Salvador Allende. And this sort of rocks Bellinguer. He's like, we're never going to... They elected a, a Marxist government, and look what happened. Like, we're never going to govern on our own. Mm-hmm. The only way we're going to get any sort of seat in government is in coalition with moderate parties that's such an interesting way to view that event instead of saying it doesn't matter if you get elected they're still going to overthrow you yeah so his interpretation was, i think was i need to work with more centrist people right and he said they did <laughs> yeah, it the other way that they I did, did it on their own and they got taken out so i can do it but only with someone else that they wouldn't take out. okay think, okay okay was his lesson 
Which is yeah, an interesting take. Yeah, right? right? I'd be like, fuck it, do it anyway. <laughs> do it, but more, bigger. Do it and try not to die. Yeah. Uh, so after that, he proposes an alliance with the uh, with Christian democracy. Oh, dear. And uh, basically says, you know, this, we could do it. Like, we're, we're the two big powerful yeah. countries. We could work together. We're not that, not that far apart. And his the party sort of moderating course and stuff is super popular they go to town in the 76 elections they come a close second to christian democracy and makes and that makes christian democracy seriously consider maybe we should bring these guys in mm. and by 1978 they are willing to try that they have their own pretty popular leader aldo moro who is open to these ideas okay he's like a kind of a moderate himself and he's like you know Maybe they're not all that bad. Yeah, I think that <laughs> people are of different minds. Of de- He's just sort of a big tent guy. The more sinister interpretation is I can channel these guys in better directions. Yeah, you I know, can control I can, this. Yeah. And honestly, I think he's got that far for a reason. A little column B. Yeah, I think more column B. I think he got there for a reason <laughs> is that he, he can figure that shit out. But anyway, this was called the historic compromise. Okay. So they were going to ally the two erstwhile opponents. Interesting. All right. Uh, that's in 1978 that they're about to do that. When? March 16th, 1978, the Red Brigade strike. <gasps> Not okay. like labor strike. They like oh, they okay. come in. Shit. <laughs> they don't like the words, uh, the, the, these ideas of, of a deal mm. between the already weak as shit Communist Party. Yeah, and an even weaker weak sauce. Yeah, I and mean, basically the power, enemies. But yeah, shitheads. Yeah. Uh, and, and they, they think that's bad, you know, uh, it's, it's going to co-opt the movement into meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some ways they're kind of right. Like yeah. Christian democracy uh-uh. would have loved to see a totally compliant communist party, just be happy to be at the table and mm-hmm. not, you know, and ask for like better wages. Yeah. You know, just one little thing off the list. So the red brigade say, shit, uh, well, let's kidnap the prime minister. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you gotta imagine, you know, you gotta admire their imagination, I guess. Like, damn, all right. Really went for it. <laughs> so that's what they do. Uh, the Red Brigade's commandos kidnapped Christian Democratic Prime Minister Aldo Moro. It was this really audacious, uh, like, broad daylight um, drive up, you know, in The Sopranos when they, like, <laughs> block in his car? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's what they do. Oh, they, like, shit. Block, in his, block in his car, get out, and start spraying Uzis at him. Shit. Not Uzi, him, but, like, his bodyguards. They kill all his bodyguards. The details of this are a bit like the Kennedy assassination Ooh. because there's all, like, this is one of there's the conspiracy, all of that is way more than the real thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's, it's, it's kind of like the Kennedy thing in, in the way that, like, the official story. Here's what happened. There is something wrong with it. And it may still be technically right with some details wrong, but there's something wrong. There's a hole. Yeah. And that's the same thing here. It's like, there's too many holes for one of those not to re- be a real thing. Oh, right? okay. Um, people, Spicy. Like, for instance, people even disagree on whether Mora was literally even there. Because <laughs> the guy ends up with, like, <laughs> sand in his pockets or something. And then the Red Brigade's guys are like, kind of like, oh, no, like, we... Um, we took him to the beach. Yeah, we put that in there to mislead you. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
that's really it's weird. It's bizarre stuff. Um, so that, that, did you remember the bag of sand? They oh, unload like ninety something bullets into this area. Into this area, forty something of them hit the bodyguards. I think one of them hits Moro. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But otherwise, he's pretty unscathed. And it's these guys practiced apparently shooting like these guns and stuff like at a, a gun range at night. At some point, like that was their only training. They just like hey, mm-hmm. see if you can get that can over there, man. You know, like. <laughs> They're not used to daylight. Yeah, I don't know. They just it was... <laughs> it's too bright. So it's a lot of weird things that don't add up and Very just so weird. many angles to it. The Damn, they really went for it, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's allegations <laughs> that um, P2 was involved. I was going to say P2. I'm yeah. like, if it's that shady, maybe they're in there. Well, either in covering things up, like mm. possible Gladio connections, um, the mafia is alleged, maybe the mafia was involved. Mm. Uh, Moro's widow actually claimed... That a friend of the show, mm. Henry Kissinger, oh, threatened guy. him. <gasps> he said, uh, you have to put an end to your political plan of mustering all the forces in your country to collaborate directly. You stop doing this thing or you will be badly punished. <gasps> oh, okay. That's what she claimed he said. That's juicy. So it could not even be communists who did this, is what you're saying. That's the thing. Yeah, it might not be. The Red Brigades took credit. And, <laughs> Which is cool. <laughs> and we'll see, like, they, they continue to do shit with it. Like, they're like, we kidnapped him. Yeah, the official story, it's us. Really? But their story never really lines up Either. internally. Yeah. Or with any of the other conspiracies. It's like, <laughs> it's so many. There's more stories oh, than people involved. That's a Jesus question right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what really happened? Yeah, Aldo Moro. So, okay, he gets kidnapped. <laughs> um, and then uh, the Red Brigades engage in a 55-day hostage negotiation with the government. Okay. They are trying to ransom him for imprisoned comrades, and then eventually whittle it down to trying to ransom him for one imprisoned comrade. <laughs> and then, like, will you just let us go? <laughs> and, yeah, they're, they're letting Moro, like, write letters to the government, basically pleading on their behalf, <gasps> like, please wow. let, get me out of here, you know, to his family, like, please get me out of here, <laughs> to the Pope. Saying, please get me out of here. What even does the Pope do with that? The Pope uh, encouraged them to release him without any conditions. Who's that? That's not JP2. That's uh, no, someone else. Some other remember. guy I don't care about. But um, <laughs> yeah, not as cool. Not as cool. Not that JP2 was that cool. But, yeah, you know, he was bad in a lot of respects, apparently. Shit. But he just had that nostalgia thing, I guess. But yeah, that's not all. good. Well, <laughs> yeah, so they were letting him write out these letters. They were trying to get anything going, but the government would not budge. Some in, some ministers in the government were even saying clearly he's been brainwashed. Clearly, uh, you know these these letters don't read like him and and stuff mm. like that. Uh, but or his is wife it even said, him? "Well, his wife said no. She could tell that he was writing this. Oh, so interesting. I trust the wife on that. Well, but yeah, maybe she's like, being you know, helpful. If, if your spouse sent you a text and you weren't sure, it was that like you'd be able to tell? Yeah, I, I feel like." Yeah, and people speculate, like, oh, he was leaving these hidden messages and stuff in the letters. It's juicy shit, dude. Uh, I, this was one where I had to really curtail myself. (laughs) (laughs) So on May 9th, they were conflicted on what to do, but it was clear that negotiations weren't working. Uh, They didn't want to be caught with this guy, or they didn't want him to escape. So they ultimately decided to execute him. (gasps) Oh, I thought they were going to let him go. (laughs) No. Different path. They loaded him up into a car trunk, uh, and they tell different stories. One of them says that they said, we're going to move you to a different location. One of them said that we're we're going to go, we negotiated your release, we're going to let you free. (gasps) Uh, But anyway, they put him in the trunk, they cover him up with a blanket, and they uh, uh, shoot him a bunch of times until he dies. 
Then they take the car, they leave it parked midway between the Rome headquarters of the Christian democracy and the Communist Party. Wow, like come get your man. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, uh, maybe not the real way it happened, but... Interesting stuff. Whoever yeah. did it, that's juicy. Yeah, so Whatever that is how behind it. Aldo Moro died. But this was a big deal. Uh, changed, yeah. I mean, like, someone just kidnaps, has a hostage negotiation with the president, the, and then just, like, blows his brains out. That's nuts. Like, And then just dumps him uh, on Park Avenue. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like, yeah, imagine if that happened here. Imagine... Imagining that happening at all, and the president's crazy. like writing, writing fucking like, letters. Please let me out. Like, like all right, come what is on, this, 70, Oh yeah, it's what seventy nine? Who is that? Carter? Like, please let me out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> please, I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> this changes a lot of things. First of all, there's a huge crackdown on leftist groups. About twelve thousand militants were arrested. Around six hundred fled the country. The Red Brigade's leadership was mostly arrested, and many of them folded like punks damn uh they were canted their involvement altogether they were just like no i i'm i'm no longer red brigades no. communism sucks uh or they collaborated they named names it was that it that That's was really good. damning to their popularity yeah okay that is really confusing i mean so first of all it was bad because this was a pretty popular guy even if he yeah. was democracy this was if they did it this was a bad plan yeah the guy that was going to ally with you with not with you but with someone that's the thing you got your cousin your shitty well, cousin they're more radical though so they would yeah. be like yeah he's not allying with me he's allying with some other piece of shit calling himself a communist you know? yeah yeah i mean i get that but it's better i mean i understand kidnapping a, like a fascist leader sure fuck that guy yeah that would be funny like you have other options to choose from and it's it's a bad plan if they planned it and it's also a bad plan if they took credit for it like it doesn't seem very popular and then i think it's worse though it's just like cowardly at the end when you get captured and everything to just oh, yeah, turn just, state's witness and everything. That and, sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so that, that ain't real communist shit. That's what people... Re- real commies know. don't name names. Yeah. So the Red Brigades lost most of their support. Even imprisoned ex-leaders, not just <laughs> about the naming names, but when they heard about the Moro thing, they're like, that was what the dumb. fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it Whoa, didn't... Guys. They also, like, pretty shortly thereafter... Uh, hurt their case further by killing a popular union organizer. What? Uh, they were distributing leaflets and not the union. The Red Brigade's guys were distributing leaflets. This guy saw them and like reported them to the police. Oh, not a good move. Not a good move. But maybe don't like kill him for yeah. it. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's pretty. That's extreme. Yeah. Not a good time for that to happen to them either. You know, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> That was really ungraceful, buddy. Maybe you're some scrambling. We got a dog here who's just, being sweet. You really wanted to get pet, okay? I get it. The political results, besides Red Brigades, what happened to them is the dissolution, of course, of the historic compromise. Oh, he doesn't like it either. <laughs> no. He's shaking his head. SMH. The PCI was kept out of government uh, pretty much from then on. Yeah, I mean... That's a pretty major move. I mean, yeah. bombings are major too. Don't get me wrong. I I would say it's kind of fucked up that that one is so much more major because like bombings are for regular people. Yeah. But like, but that's it's just a, the a way celebrity society. kind yeah, of, you know, or a someone that high up and that high profile. Yeah, people are gonna get mad about that. Yeah. Uh, from 1979 to 1980, you had an increase in violence. 
you go from 91 armed organizations to 269. That just sounds in like 1979. Every block has like a like a street gang. So uh, it's probably what probably factors into that is some of the articles on this of, of the re- the left and the right groups. I didn't include all of them because sometimes you read about it and be like, this is the group maxed guy. out at 60 people. Like, it only ain't that big. I mean, it's big, but it's not, you know? Yeah, well, 60 people, though, is tiny. That's not very many people. Yeah, or just like, I'm not going to write about that. That's like a student group. That's like, <laughs> I don't know. So uh, maybe it's counting all those guys, you know? Maybe, all yeah. the tiny groups, 269. But <laughs> they had 659 attacks in 1979. Uh, most of the killings listed on Wikipedia looked like Red Brigades or Prima Linea. Mm-hmm. But they only listed 25 out of 659, so who knows yeah, you know, what yeah. that was. Uh, the last big one I want to talk about is in August of 1980. August 2nd, you had the Bologna Massacre, uh, where neo-fascist terrorists with the Nuclei Armati Revolucionari. It's like bad Spanish, you know? Well, yeah, or they would say Spanish is like bad Italian. But... Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's like Italian with, or Spanish with more flair, I guess. Is how, cool that's Spanish. how I would try to say it, I guess. Of just like, I would Fancy? To... Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. They set off a time bomb hidden in a suitcase in the waiting room of Bologna Centrale uh, Railway Station. <gasps> uh, this one was the worst disaster in Italy since World War II. It killed 85 people oh my and God. wounded more than 200. That's so many. Yeah. And this was another one where it didn't come out for a long time that it was, or it didn't come out right away, I mm-hmm. should say, that it was the, this right-wing group. Yeah. Um, Interesting how the right-wing groups get cover for longer, you know? Yeah. Like, I wonder fucking why. The police are immediately like, oh, it was this guy. It's definitely it leftists. And, and sometimes it is, to be fair, but... Yeah, but also the leftists are usually attacking, like, more political targets, it seems. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, like the the worker, not the May Day demonstrations, like, those are all more regular people that yeah. they're going the after. the train stations, multiple times that's we've just had... just regular people. That's just normal terrorism yeah right? that's just terrorism the other one is like a political move yeah it's, i'm not saying it's a wise one but it is yeah and this one also had a lot of different conspiracy angles i couldn't mm. by that point in the research honestly i couldn't tell the difference you had to be like, no, i'm good <laughs> uh, they did get a couple of p2 guys for they tried to derail the investigation like put them put them on the trail of somebody else with like a fake bomb suitcase mm. that had like incriminating evidence on somebody from like Germany or something. Oh, okay. So he's like trying to throw them off the trail, some Ooh, weird shit like okay, that. Okay, okay. Um, I see you, P2. But weird, weird stuff. Uh, but from that point on, you kind of end up, it seems like, with less violence. There's a decline. Tensions are still high. There's still some highlights like the Red Brigade's kidnapping a general. Uh, like a, Didn't learn our like lesson a, the first time, huh? United States general. Um, what? Yeah. <gasps> uh, that they end up doing like the Italian, one of the, one of their military operations, one of their branches or something, special forces, does like a commando rescue thing of him. Wow. Like, <laughs> I mean, oh, come on. The Italian government wouldn't negotiate with you, so you just tried to negotiate with the fucking U.S. <laughs> government with a general? Good fucking luck. Yeah. Ronald Reagan so I just hung up the phone. Yeah. I was like, fucking I negotiate my with terrorists. Eat my yeah. wrinkly butt. But yeah, so so some kind of cool points like that. But um, 
the Red Brigade split. They suffer from a lot of mass arrests, and, and they dissolve in 1988. And the other insurgents groups aren't, aren't faring much better. Mm-hmm. There's this huge crackdown. People are tired of it, probably. And it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Nothing's changing. You know, it's not, it's not working, clearly. Like, what the fuck is even the government doing? Like, are they doing anything cool or shitty in the meantime, I guess? Like... Like, how's that, is the welfare state holding up, or is it all neoliberalism at this point? In the early 80s, you started to have a recession. And then you, they, in Italy, they started another set of reforms, trying to, what, what they ended up doing, I think, if I recall that specific part correctly, they started doing some economic reforms to restructure the economy to be more export-focused. Mm. Uh, this makes sense. This guy... Craxy, I want to say his name was. He was, he governed in coalition with the Christian Democrats, but he was actually in that socialist party. Mm, okay. And that kind of uh, brought about a second wave of like kind of prosperity and, and building up and stuff. So with that, I think you people kind of were like, "Why are we doing this?" Right. Yeah. It was. It was like the Communist Party wasn't in government, but was getting plenty of a say in terms of like legislation and shit like they were Mm -hmm. involved and they had big representation there and there just wasn't as much of an like a class antagonism yeah it was papered over i should say it was there but yeah you know there were were, it was a little bit of an easing there is a little bit of a resurgence if you look this stuff up that that of of like uh leftist red brigades and stuff violence in like the 90s and 2000s but it's very sporadic Mm -hmm. it seems kind of random and not even connected to mass movements okay like it's just adventurism just people you know doing some bombings and some fucked up you know shit the to give a epilogue of you know where are they now sort of at the end of (laughs) animal house or something Uh uh-huh uh so the pci to the communists they lived on uh as an increasingly social democratic party Mm. Soften, 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 until eventually, in 1991, they renamed themselves the Democratic Party of the Left. Okay, guys, that's nothing. <laughs> Give us nothing. Yeah, so from the largest communist party in... To the you know, fucking Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. Prada Tanada. <laughs> and it's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think at the end it kind of fizzles out. Uh, yeah, sounds you know, like it, just, it. It just peters away. There's not like a big climactic. I mean, there is, but it's all, it's like before it actually dies, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like they a long one, you know. But I think it's interesting to look at the whole. I don't know. To me, some of the stuff that stood out was like all those weird foreign connections and shit. Oh like, yeah, that's shady. We don't, I guess, have that experience because we live in the country where our own government We're is the, the ones bad doing guys. That. Yeah. But like other countries, how many of them don't have that happening? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's coming from inside the house if, if it's in this country. <laughs> that's that's the FBI fucking you over. But if you're in another country, that's our friends the CIA. So know who's fucking you, <laughs> and who's giving your government secret money and all kinds of shit, shit like that. Yeah, it was wild. And what do you think? I don't know. What do you think of the overall? the effort that was made in the years of lead and maybe even in the preceding the hot autumn and stuff like because i mean i think people were not stupid in trying to do something i feel like they felt that they should be trying to yeah that that just relying on the communist party wasn't going to work but it doesn't it but their method didn't work either 
Yeah, I think that's something I really struggle with, with, with fascist tendencies of, they usually are these smaller groups, but much more violent, much more extreme. Again, like we point out, much more willing to go after regular people. Mm -hmm. I'm generalizing, obviously, but, and so like, how do you fight that? Like, how do you even start? Because you can't do it politely. They'll just murder you. Mm -hmm. You... If you do mass action, they will also murder you. Yeah. <laughs> like, every road leads to murder and oppression. Like, it, it becomes a real challenge. Like, they even tried to outlaw fascism in their fucking constitution. But like, you just have to have, like, an ironclad thing of, like, no, for real, no. <laughs> I think you, I don't, I don't know, I think they were on to something. They weren't organized enough to do it, to pull it all off. Are you thinking because they had so many different groups? I think because they had so many different groups. I think because they were more concerned with the pulling off moves versus the The how are we going to organize the masses? I yeah, because it eventually starts to read like, and I'm sure this is. I'm not sure. I wonder if this is part of the reason it fizzled out and like you know it became less popular or whatever. Uh, Not that it was like hell yeah, another (laughs) body, but you know. Because you're not out there engaging with regular people, it started with like student movements and working units, and that's that's the part where I was like, I'm excited, like that's cool. We got the students, we got the workers, we got the unions, like that's cool. But more and more, it felt more like a gang warfare situation of like, well, you hit me, so I'm hitting you back, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that's where I started to struggle with like, what's the point of this? And I'm sure a lot of people felt that way of like, what is the point of all this violence? Well, yeah. Why are we? Yeah. Why is this? Why does this keep happening? Why are we going back and forth? Like, that gets you to the Orwellian thing of, like, oh, they're both bad, and oh, it's, you know, it doesn't matter who's doing the war, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is because of the CIA and because of the uh, P2 people and uh, and all those shady connections, sometimes it was fake. Sometimes, sometimes it, was it was somebody like, yeah, it was pretending they were an anarchist. Punching themselves and saying, oh, you got me. Yeah, well, no, I mean, like decapitating a few people and saying he did it mm, you know, like, yeah that's yeah, that's what i mean I guess. Not, not so innocuous <laughs> but i don't know i think that it's because you were talking about like kind of the inevitability or not the but the near inevitability of fascist domination they'll do right? whatever it takes yeah and, and so how do you fight an enemy like that yeah i i i really struggle with that i think a lot of it I don't, there's not a clean answer to it because like if you meet them, you know, blow for blow, like you're going to end up doing some heinous fucking shit. Yeah. And if you hold back, like there has to be such a precise line where you say, okay, we're not going after civilians, you know, or whatever it is, you're going to try to hold that yourself to a standard, but they're still going to blame you for that. They're still going to like hit you back. So yeah, it becomes this really, it feels like an impossible task. Like is the solution just getting a mass enough movement so that there's just physically not enough of them to be pulling this violence off, you know, or like everyone knows so everyone so well that you can just be like, Hey, fucking knock that shit off. Like I saw my neighbor, he was looking real weird. Like, (laughs) yeah, I think that's, that's one approach. I don't know how viable it is. Yeah. But the reason I say that they're, that they were almost onto something is that while they, you know, ignored to their detriment, that mass connection, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bolsheviks did have it right that you had to be... You had to stamp it out. You had to be as vile as the Tsar was to take power from the Tsar. Yeah, yeah. And so and you had to... And it's real uncomfortable, and it, it's going to make us look bad, but guess what? They're going to make us look bad any way we slice it. And when it comes our turn, we shall not apologize for the terror, as I said. Yeah. It's like, we have, you have to be ready to do 
whatever it is in defense for but that's like in the personal sense in the human sense that's almost sort of losing your soul yeah giving it over to be a revolutionary is just saying i'm gonna be bad yeah I'm, that, I'm that, that's be a something, tool for that that's i think it's something that's really hard for a lot of us because i do genuinely feel that a lot of people that lean left with the exception of like really hardcore tankies or something mm-hmm. are genuinely compassionate people yeah you know and that we, we see people suffering from hunger from poverty etc and we're like this is not okay so it's really hard to take that kind of person and be like now you have to be a warrior for those people you have to say i hate this so much that i'm going to fuel that hate towards a group that's standing in the way of a better future i've heard this rephrase though and uh i want to say it was on the magnificast podcast but it was it really made me think for a while but it's rephrasing it as loving people so much and being so empathetic that you can say i'll fight for you yeah you know and using that empathy and stuff that you feel towards people as (laughs) as a positive fuel is instead Uh of hatred is like i'm doing this for people I'm sacrificing myself for people yeah, sort yeah. of thing. You kind of turn on that protective mode almost. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it is a really tough thing. Like it's a really stupid example. <laughs> I was thinking about the children's show Avatar, the last airbender. Oh, and it's this major frustration I have. And this part of a larger conversation, I think about like, there's a real obsession with YA media. I think to the point where like, I feel like adults have lost some of their higher functioning power. Nuance. Well, nuance, yeah. There's a degree of nuance there, but there's still a, a desire to resolve. Everything's got to be neat in a bow. People get really icky about romance now. It's really weird. Weird purity culture thing happening right now. That's not the main point. But <laughs> one of the things that I struggled with when watching that for the first time was, um, so like the plot of it is like, there's a big bad guy. He's the Fire Lord. The He's Fire literally, Nation, right? Yeah, the Fire Nation. They're super fast. They're taking over the world. And at the, the last season, the main character, Aang, his big struggle is, I don't want to kill him. And I'm like, fucking kill him. This guy sucks. <laughs> like, I was just screaming at the TV. Like, if, this is easy. This is One of the stupidest shit. ideas in media and in, in, in any storytelling convention is, if I do that, it's going to make me just as bad as yes. him. Yes. And like, it's like, no, you. you're killing one person. And through that, you're preventing the deaths of thousands, you know? Yeah, do you think they, you know, line up to defend, you know, Leningrad, and they're like, shit, if we, if I kill that Wormach soldier over there, like, I'm just as bad as him. Like, yeah, like, I get, like, no one wants on to, different sides, fighting for different things. Like, it's different when you do that. You have to be able to take some, to do. some abstraction into it. Like, it's just, it's hard. And like, don't get me wrong, I don't think I could fucking personally kill anybody. Like, I feel bad when I kill a spider. Well, not that bad, but like a little bit bad. Uh, you know definitely (laughs) couldn't kill a person like fuck no that'd be very traumatic and i hope i never have to do that but like once you're in these this big league shit you're fighting at such high stakes i don't know i get frustrated yeah i'm not bombing train stations but i think it's part of a maybe i've read this somewhere before too it's not original thought i don't think but part of a bourgeois sort of approach to morality of can't we do this nicely yeah, com- coming from a place of luxury enough to say, I have the option of not doing this. Mm-hmm. And the idea, I think, if you really look at it materially, is that 
you should oppressed people don't have oppressed people don't have that luxury yeah right and yeah. so when people are to the righteous stage of of the contradictions where it's like hey we're we're back up against the wall we got to do what we got to do yeah then there's you don't have to talk about justification it's moral to survive so what you do is good right and so like when you engage in the armed struggle against people who are trying to wipe you out that's good because it's good to survive yeah but i mean like uh, they weren't in a position to take power there weren't enough of them i don't think who the 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 communists like right after world war ii like in even Italy? That, that very first election, they still lost to the Christian Democrats. Yeah, yeah. They could have like Trotsky'd their way into that party or done more educating in the meantime before the fascists took over of like, hey, come on, we really need to get this shit together. I guess, but like, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know enough of their circumstances to be like, oh, they passed up this golden opportunity. Really, mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. But, but I don't know. It's just interesting to me. It's like when people look at the. You know, people like the Red Brigades and all the law to continue on everybody. It's like, it's easy to say, oh, you went down this crazy path mm-hmm. and you did all these bad things and you just wanted to be a gangster. But like... What other option do they have? Well, when you stepped back and looked at it and said, the fascists are going to blame me regardless. Yeah. Then why shouldn't you go up to them, you know, go up against them toe to toe? I think you have to be prepared. I mean, like I said, I, th- I think the Bolsheviks were doing it where you were doing that. I mean, you were robbing trains and everything, mm-hmm. uh, but you were also building a mass political movement. And that's the part I here like I think was missing. That, yeah, I agree. I agree. But if you had that, this would be whew, something else. Mm-hmm. But. Next week, shooting the shit. Tune in. Yeah, it'll be good. <laughs> You'll love it. Yes. Thanks for telling me a tale. Anytime. Uh, see ya. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.